Holy shit, gents. We're back. Episode number three coming to you. Not live, but I kind of wanted to say live. Can we pretend it's live? We could pretend it's live. <laughs> That's all right. It, it, it's kind it's of live. live. I mean, so this week, yeah. we're watching the scariest movie that I've seen in quite some time. It's called uh, Frankenhooker from 1991. <laughs> <laughs> the great Frank Hennen Lauder. No, we're talking about Midsummer. This was uh Midsummer. this was your recommendation, Alex. So so tell me, tell me why why did we watch this movie? It was. It's your responsibility, Alex. Um, you know, I think that just because I actually think that you two are maybe bigger fans or more knowledgeable of like the horror genre as a whole. Um, and I think that these two filmmakers coming out uh, Ari Aster and Robert Eggers and the studio specifically of a 24 are like kind of putting out these movies that are, you know, they're obviously different than we, like we've talked about, like the conjuring or something like that. And there's something about them that I think needs to be talked for about. Context, so. For context, Robert Eggers is the director of two incredible movies, the Vich and, uh, the lighthouse, which, um, you're going to find out pretty quickly that I would not put this director or this film in the same conversation as either of those movies or Dag Beggars. I haven't seen okay. his other movie. It's called Hereditary. Um, maybe that's better. I've heard mm -hmm. good things about it. But I also heard good things about this film. Hereditary is much better, is it? in my opinion, than, than Midsummer. I would have to say. I think Ari Aster really has a style and he really hit the nail on the head when it came to hereditary and he i think he tried to transfer a little bit of that style into midsummer but with a little more swedish folklore and i kind of think it fails to hit the mark in the way that he might have wanted it to you think it's too self-aware of his of his own a style? little bit it's Maybe. a little bit i think it's also really trying to to bring about um a type of feeling that isn't that isn't really presented as well in this movie. You know, Hereditary is, uh, with the horror of Hereditary and why I like it so much is it's not a jump scare movie. It's a tension-based horror film that builds and builds and builds and then it kind of hits you with the crazy at the end. And that's kind of Ari Aster's style where you know what's going to happen at the end of the movie. So it's about how you build up to that moment. Like right when you meet the Swedish... Um, one of the Swedish friends in the beginning of the movie. I mean, at least for me, I knew right away, like, okay, this guy's kind of a bad guy. You know, he just kind of has that horror movie edge to him. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. An interesting thing you said there is style, right? And that's the key thing for me with this movie is I enjoyed watching it from, like, a stylistic perspective. He's very good at moving the camera and knowing where to put things. Um, it's, it's everything else that I had a problem with. I, uh, everything. yeah, yeah. Wow. I, I did not find, That's a bold I did claim. not find this movie tense. I did not find it. Wow. Um, it's, it's, I know that's an interesting statement because if you dissect it and you look at any scene just by itself, it's like almost a masterclass in these little cinematic tensions it's very Kubrick, the framing. Um, it just has this really specific 
atmosphere about it that it cultivates. But the plot Mm -hmm. is almost non-existent, and the movie has no characters that I gave any kind of a shit about. So, like, without any kind of core of humanity or interest, I just, like, I just kind of sat back and watched it, and I was like, eh. And even the things Mm, that were supposed to be terrifying, I, I was laughing at towards the end. That's very interesting. I, I I did have that same reaction towards the end. There are scene, There's a specific scene at the end that we'll talk about where I just have to always pause the film, no matter how many times I've watched it, um, and just laugh for a second. Uh, but I will say one thing about his style. I would be hesitant to label his style, like to, to restrict him too much with his own style because of the very fledgling, you know, director that we have here. It's very like we see him evolving right we see like this we talked about this last time um he's like trying out different things this was this was a director who was i mean (laughs) maybe this is too mean because i didn't hate this movie but it it felt like the director masturbating for three hours and like like look at how good i am and look how great my dick is and i'm like Uh yeah that's that's a nice dick man but like do you want to write a script to go with it? Like, you want to show me anything else besides like how good you are at shooting things? I think there is a, a storyline that is important to follow. There is a there is a story thread to follow, and there's there is definitely uh, some stylistic. I mean, as Jesse says, maybe lack for a better word, dick waving. But I believe that for the most part, what we're seeing here is somebody attempting to try a type of story that really hasn't been told as well before. I know that this is um, kind of a spiritual successor to the Wicker Man, the original, not the garbage Nick Cage version. Speaking of the Nick Cage version, (laughs) it does end with a man in a bear costume. This is true, Mm -hmm. but it, it's, it definitely has, it hasn't a charm. It has an appeal. It's visually striking and beautiful. So I think there is a lot to, to credit Ari Aster on. And this is also is his sophomore film, I believe, uh, with his, is, his yes. first film being Hereditary. And in the same way that Jordan Peele, in my opinion, his sophomore film, This Is Us, was a bit of a, a letdown in comparison to Get Out, I kind of had that same same feeling with Midsummer, where I was expecting... A, a lot more of the tension and the horror that Hereditary gave me, and I think that's uh, unfair to hold him to a standard of his original movie. It's it's fair when critiquing the movie, but it's unfair when watching it. But this is definitely a film that's more fun to watch than it is to listen to. Wait, why would you just listen to it? Well, no, not you, like what I mean is not listen to like as in like an audio book. <laughs> I mean, I mean like dialogue, screenwriting, oh, okay. all that kind of stuff. Like yeah. it's it's like you know, you watch it, you watch a movie, and you listen to it at the same time. Right. Like this movie, you could put this movie on mute, and I think I'd still get the concept pretty yeah, well. Yeah, because the dialogue doesn't matter much. I mean, uh, it has no characters. I have this movie split into three categories of what it does i think superbly mediocre and just poor um i just want to say at the beginning of this podcast so we can get it out of the way florence pew mm-hmm. um outshines every single person in this oh, she, movie. Yeah. she is she's she's an incredible actress 
And in this movie, I thought she was amazing. I um, agree with that, definitely. The soundtrack, uh, going back to this idea of listening to the movie, I think is beautiful. Um, I'm blanking on the composer's name right now, but it doesn't matter. The movie, the movie music, uh, I think is really good, and I think that it actually speaks a lot to a th- this theme or this theory that I have about this movie that makes it much more watchable. Um, but the character building, even the cult building, the the world building of that culture, um, I think is really, really poor, and I think that or at least mediocre. And I think that the only thing that Ari Aster really gets right is like maybe this idea of a very stale relationship, which is not hard to do, right? It's not hard to, to show that. Um, but I think he does do that well. And I don't know if you guys knew this, but I think it's an important piece of context. He, he experienced a very, very harsh breakup yes. before. Yeah, he did I did movie. read about this. Um, so I think that plays a lot into the making of the film. I don't know how much it plays into the criticism of it, but I think it's an So did Ari Aster thing. also did... date the world's most boringest man? <laughs> okay. That yeah. Guy. Let's start off with him. We, he's a good, Fucking he's a good jumping right, point so, to start off with. Yeah. Christian. So, yeah. So the, you know, the movie starts uh, with the pretty horrific uh, murder suicide of the main character, Danny and her family. Uh, by her sister, who is a you know bipolar, depressed uh, individual, and uses quite a extensive uh, method oh, yes. of hooking oh, up yes. two vehicles <laughs> to hoses and kind of pumping carbon dioxide or monoxide into the house. It's really well lit to suffocate. Yes, definitely. It's a very that was probably the scariest scene in the movie for me. Was the kind of when. The wide shot, yeah, the wide shot down the hall, and it's zooming in on on the sister, like up against the the computer desk, and she's got like the bag over her head and the the hose taped. That type of methodical um, calculation in a murder suicide to me is very uh, disturbing and off putting. So that was probably the scariest scene in the movie. Ari Aster seems to like that, right? I mean, even in Hereditary, it's like the horrific nature of the tragedy in that movie is very visually like gl- it's like a glut of horror or of tragedy that we see at the beginning of these films yes definitely and i also think that when i came into this i was being i remember being there was a couple quotes that i heard one jordan peele said that this movie had some of midsummer that is had some of the most uh disturbing images ever put on film that is his exact quote verbatim and i would have to just severely disagree <laughs> With that, I was talking to a friend um, right before I saw it, and he was like, that movie traumatized me. And I was like, great, <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> Give me three hours of just insane shit. And maybe I like was expecting too much, but um, I thought it would go crazier, which is not to say like I need this movie to be just a schlock fest or a gore fest. Um, but... I don't know. It didn't go too. It didn't. It didn't go far enough in any like direction for me. Besides, like, look at look at my cool camera. Um, all the kills, all the kills yeah. take place off screen, except for a couple. Um, like you see the people jump off the ledge and whatever. Um, yeah, I don't I know. It was such a flat line. Three kills. Yeah, three kills take place off screen. 
the two uh the couple from london and the i mean what i'm dubbing one of the most hateable characters in cinema history for me which would be uh mark the, the, yeah the vaping. The, uh, overly american mark? the vaping overly yeah. americanized sex crazed douchebag character literally mm-hmm. like dissected out of an american pie movie and dropped into a horror visual striking movie i mean it's just he's so bad in every capacity he's not convincing as his character and then the character development itself is just horrendous so i definitely i do think he serves a purpose at the beginning and then very quickly his character goes into just straight up silly parody of yeah traveling definitely right so yeah so we start we open on this kind of horrific murder suicide we establish that the the main character's mental health is rocky at best and that she is in a uh, deteriorating relationship which i believe that while the main boyfriend character played by jack raynor christian is an awful character if i i haven't seen any other movies he's been in but i mean he just the character is so dry, so one-dimensional. I, I really just can't stand him. But they do what they do do well. What Ari Aster always does well is two things: grief he does beautifully, and he does um, relationships really well. And I, as somebody who has been in an eleven-year marriage where things get rocky from time to times, there are a lot of moments in that were that were very visceral and real for me. In, in the way that they argued and disagreed mm-hmm. and the kind of the way they they always they kind of both know that the relationship is winding to its end and the signs are there but they're choosing to ignore them or at least Danny's character is choosing to ignore them um, there's definitely a lot of that there's a lot of codependency there's a lot of um, uh, gaslighting on the part of Christian a lot of gaslighting against her and so it, it, it very much brilliantly describes a horrible falling apart relationship, but then grief as well. Uh, I hate to always keep bringing up Hereditary, but I'm going to keep doing it. In Hereditary, when you have the scene where uh, the, 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 the daughter character dies, the mother comes out wailing with grief, and it's off camera, and it's so convincing. It's so gut-wrenchingly real. And the scene in which she is wailing, uh, where Danny is crying and being trying to be half-assed comforted by Christian uh, on the couch was very visceral and real. And I think those are two things that Ari does really, really well. That scene kind of worked. The beginning worked because I didn't know where it was going. And yeah, you didn't really understand that this Christian character is like the least relatable human to have ever lived. Um, but beyond that, like once they get to the village proper, I think there's one, there's one scene that was a con- almost convincing character moment. And then they bungled it for me. It's when she's just fed up with him and they have this little like back and forth at night. And she's like, this is insane. Like this place is insane. You're talking about before she asks. I'm talking about Josh, it's right uh, after the they witness right? the ceremony and she's like, they're gonna kill us basically yes. she's saying they're gonna kill us like yes. there's no way that that they just let travelers in here they're mm-hmm. only able to do this because nobody can ever find out mm-hmm. and you're a total asshole and we need to leave basically 
Mm-hmm. And then like yeah. nothing comes of that. And then she's just like going yeah. to ceremonies again the next day. And I'm like, okay, okay. You almost had a believable character moment movie. Come on. See, I will say this, that scene, that conversation is not in the theatrical release. That makes sense. I don't know. <laughs> oh yeah. We, so we watched, we watched the director's cut by the way. Yeah, Jesse and I watched the director's cut, and Alex watched both the director's cut and the theatrical version back to back. And it is, I, I am of the opinion that the theatrical cut is the much, much better movie as far as pacing, as far as editing. Um, it, I mean, it doesn't do anything to, I can't, it won't change your guys' opinions about the character development or anything like that. But um, <laughs> yeah, l- let's talk about Christian. Um, because he, Jack Rainer, I don't yeah. think, what was his name? Jack Rayner. That's the, if he gets work ever again, do you think it was his fault? Big, I would be surprised. Um, I'm not trying to be, no, no, no. So like, uh, I, I don't know. That's the thing is that maybe next to Florence Pugh's performance, like he was extremely flat, but, um, their friend Josh was he he did pretty well. Um, it wasn't like they were um, upstaged or anything like that. If his character was written to be that type of boyfriend, then he's the greatest actor of all time. I think that's probably true. If you look at if you just like look at his dialogue, he says nothing ever or or never gives any kind of support. It's it's. It's a very weird performance to try to categorize because calling him an awful human, it's like he's not like a villain. He's just like a really shit person who is just completely self-centered. Um, he's a liar. He's to everybody. He has not just no towards loyalty Danny. to exactly. any of his yeah. friend group. He has no yeah. loyalty to any anybody at all, to his girlfriend. He really is only acting in his most – he's a coward as well like he just he he can't ever take a stand against something or like break up with this girl that he definitely doesn't want to be with he's just kind of a really unlikable character and it makes me question the motive of him even being in the film as a character in general um there's no way that ari aster could draw up a character that poor there's evidence in the film that he 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 has characters that are more. I would probably agree. I would think. Them, I, right? I definitely agree that um, that I think it's on part of the actor and not Ari Aster's writing. I th- I think this actor is just a, a weak actor. Personally, I just I looked up his IMDb. He's actually uh, in Macbeth. Spoiler. Uh, so that's going to be an interesting to kind of oh, look at those roles side okay. by side when we go into that. But um, but oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's just Sorry, uh, Rainer, I just didn't feel you are. like his performance was in any way powerful or as I mean, Florence Pugh really just supersedes every other actor. I think Wilhelm Blomgren, yes. who played Pele, the uh, the Swedish exchange student, I think he was probably the second mm-hmm. most convincing actor. See, I thought I thought she was all right. Um, she was pretty good until the end when she just like frowned for half an hour. But, um, yeah, <laughs> sorry. Sorry, guys. I'm shitting all over this one. I don't, I don't think it was well written. It's all I good. I feel like I think... the, the problem is, like, if you don't have a character that's relatable, it doesn't really matter how good the performance is because I'm not, like, 
I'm not keyed into their interiority besides like, oh my God, look at the wacky things that are happening. You know, it's just like, it's almost like a Ren fair or like a carnival. And you're mm-hmm. like, oh, look at this wacky scene. And it's, and it's like, you could almost rearrange them. It gets like that. Like definitely. To, to, to fit whatever, because one doesn't really seem to lead into the next. Yeah. There are some serious flaws and inconsistencies in the tradition that after watching the film three times, I like thought oh. at first, maybe I made a mistake. Let but... me say this one more thing, Alex. Sorry, but it's, but it, I'm going to forget this, but it really reminded me of what you were saying last week about this movie called, uh, I care a lot where it's like, they come up with a concept and they're mm-hmm. like, look at how cool our concept is. And then that's like all it does. I recognize that it's like it's it sets up these little thematic things with like the paintings and um, <clears throat> you're like, oh, I wonder if those will be plot elements. And then uh, you see the you see the like the wall of flower girl portraits and they all look just like her. And you're like, well, I know how this movie's going to end. Yeah, that's all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> so, Siv, I actually thought, who's the elderly woman, the matriarch that's, like, running everything. Yeah. Um, she was a good actress. I don't know her actual Gunnel name. Fred. Um, okay, nice. There we go. Um, however, when she's speaking at the beginning, she says, you know, welcome to our great feast. We had our last one 90 years ago. And we'll have our next one 90 years from now. But then it goes into this idea that, no, we do the Atastupa, the thing where they jump off the cliff. We do it every time someone reaches this certain age, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And I'm like, okay, so do you guys do just like Atastupa lights? Like when there's not like this feast or festival going on, like, and people just are jumping off the cliffs, like, that's fine. But the way that you've included into this cultish festival like Jesse said, it almost feels like at some points it like got Ren Fair mosh posh, just like, well, this is what they do with flowers and weird, you know, flutes and stringed instruments. And it, it gets to a point where it's like, what is the essence of this cult and this culture other than being creepy? It's, it's weird for the sake of it's because it's a movie. I don't know. The, because uh, cult. Yeah, because, because cult. cult. So apparently the Swedes thought this movie was a comedy. Yeah, I mean, there's... Oh, did they? Yeah, I mean, I can see that. <laughs> I can see like how people who actually know about this type of culture in Sweden would look on, look on this as kind of a, a mockery or kind of a, like a joke on Swedish culture. But I think what we're all talking about here to kind of bring it together is we're talking about how this movie is missing narrative connective thread. There's no connective thread between scenes, between... Uh, motivations of characters beyond kind of small simple um selfish needs like the the main one of the characters played by william jackson harper josh he all he wants Mm -hmm. to do is get his thesis done and he's extremely interested in the runes and the culture whereas in christian's character doesn't really care you know until until he's until he until does until he does whereas josh has cared the whole time <laughs> i thought that was gonna play in later like oh josh knows about the runes and he kind of can loosely translate the their their holy text so he's gonna their save fate. them in a way <laughs> yeah. that like where he like 
oh look this is they're actually like there's something written here you know what i mean like he was he's gonna use this knowledge to a benefit nope he gets clobbered in the head by fucking leatherface mm-hmm. and dies and it's because he does something so un- disrespectful that an anthropologist would never do and sneaks into the holiest like site of the culture and takes pictures right like it's just it's just not convincing and so there's no connective thread and we we see the how did you pronounce that again i i, I couldn't get the pronunciation the uh, the ritual suicide atastupa atastupa yeah so when they see this which to me was the 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 pinnacle of the movie like the atastupa scene was like it's where all the tension in the beginning kind of paid off and you got this kind of release like you knew something like this was going to happen soon and they were just building and building and building and building and it's like this is when you finally got that little bit of that release where you get to see some horror it's definitely the goriest part of the movie they really focused on the gore to a little to a point where it was a little campy where it's like they kept like pan they kept panning back on these like broken shattered faces and stuff and it was like okay mm-hmm. you're tr- you're trying to elicit a a guttural response from me but it's like as someone who like enjoys gore fest movies i'm like i mean hereditary was much gorier than this movie but this movie keeps getting this like reputation as being this gore fest and i just don't i don't understand it <laughs> i like you that you said guttural keep that in mind for later sorry that'll come into my theory yeah, they, they had a shot where, I can't remember what it was, but it was like a little bit after that, and someone somebody was talking, and it was just some like dialogue scene, and they cut back to like the corpse props just being thrown on the fire, and I laughed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of just like, yeah, there's just a lot of interesting use of screen well, like- time. What you were talking about a minute ago, Jeff, another way you could say that and the way that I frame it in my brain is like movies work a lot of the time because you set things up and you pay them off. Like what? Like I was thinking like when the annoying um, vaping douchebag died, I was like, what? They they should have they should have showed all these fucking characters dying because why would you not? Um, And B, they should have had him like be eaten by bugs or something. That's what I was thinking in the beginning, because he has this, they established this fear of ticks, and everyone's messing with him because there's ticks. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I wonder if that'll come back. And there's, like, w- other weird little things where it's, like, they, they set up little things in the movie just because, and they have no purpose. Like the, like the inbred kid who writes their scriptures. Like, what is what was the point of him other than to, like, have his face in the movie for five seconds? Oh, they they explain the they have the priest and the and Josh go through that when Josh is asking like the priest about the the book is called the Ruby no, I mean Rod- I understand Rodder. like what he said about it. What I mean is like what does it do for the movie? Oh, okay, got it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. There's a difference between not understanding and like what the what the benefit of because everything in a movie or in a film needs to have a purpose. It needs to be worth its weight in film. <laughs> and that definitely doesn't happen for that character and that narrative thread. You know what's interesting too is that character is seen a lot in the trailer and a lot in like the still images or the thumbnails that you'll see of this movie. That distorted face. And then when you watch the film, you're like, uh, okay. He has literally two, three scenes where he's on screen for about five seconds. Maybe three, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. So there's, yeah, there's definitely some. I know. We're all he just... was good in 300, right? Yeah. Oh God. Like I, I joked that uh, I joked about Frankenhooker, but honestly, like Frankenhooker is a better narrative. Like you have characters in it who have motivations. You have scenes that forward a plot. <laughs> you're getting a little. It's a bit of a stretch. Yeah, no, I mean, okay, that's a okay, bit okay, of a yeah, stretch, yeah. Jesse. I get what you're saying, but I, what I mean, like, okay. Maybe we should talk about my theory because I Go think ahead. that little. Go ahead. My my theory of this movie is that obviously it's all about Pew's character, Danny, but it's the idea that her trauma and her grief is not only healed but smoothed over and like assuaged by more trauma and more grief. And the 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 trick of this movie is the narrative line is. This woman needs to experience more pain. It's like a self-inflicting thing. Um, you know, it's like the masochistic, sadistic side of people. Her experiencing more pain and trauma, not at, not at her will, starts to slowly make it okay. And it's interesting that you mentioned the frown, Jesse, because obviously the end of the film ends with her breaking out into a smile. Um, as she's watching, you know, this giant thing burning down. And the idea of this film, there are very key points in it where you get into this guttural aspect that you were talking about, Jeff, um, where she's wailing into the phone first, and then she's wailing into the lap of her boyfriend, Christian. Um, during the Atastupa, when the man falls, and he, you know, doesn't quite finish the job off, they do it for him, but everyone also starts groaning and wailing. They do this thing where they mimic or they reflect back the trauma that, or the pain that someone is feeling. And when she is in the church, when she sees Christian, you know, performing his sex thing, uh, she's like having a panic attack and she's screaming and wailing and crying and all the maids come around her, right? And they are all doing the same thing and they mimic her slowly and slowly and slowly and you even see it at danny's face at the atastupa like she's like in a trance while simon and connie the people from london are freaking the fuck out yeah and danny is in this interesting trance where you see images interspersed of her family and her sister and it it like feels good. It's almost, I, I don't want to go as far to say orgasmic, but like there's something about the look on her face where it's helping mm. her. It's helping her just like numb through it. But then there will be moments right after that where she goes up to Christian, right? And it's like, this place is fucking insane. We need to get out of here right now. Yeah. Well, there's, it, it's, it's, I think it's an aspect of immersion therapy. Uh, the, exactly. It, Sorry. There, yeah. There's a lot like of exposure. Yeah, exposure therapy. Thank you. Um, yeah. And there's a lot of that. They also explain uh, very briefly when Christian asks, when they're decorating the tree, he asks one of the, um, he's trying to approach the redhead that he eventually impregnates later. But uh, he asks her, oh, when do you grieve? And she says, we grieve and celebrate simultaneously. And I think that that's yes. kind of the explanation of the wailing is like they are letting their grief out in the moment. Because if you look in those certain scenes of the group wailing, sometimes there's people smiling 
and celebrating mm-hmm. and then summer whaling and it's it's kind of a mixed bag and so i think it is it, yeah. i think that's what's supposed to be kind of the visual representation of that where they kind of they express all of the emotions that you need to express in this type of situation at once and they experience a certain level of immediate catharsis right afterwards and i that's mm-hmm. i think what danny to, to play to your theory i think that's what danny is looking for is catharsis it, mm-hmm. this this uh, ability to see these horrible things happen over and over and over again and also she's in a foreign land she's been made the may queen there even one of them says we're sisters now you're part of the family we're family we're family when she's sitting yeah so she watches the the temple with all of her ties to her previous life her family is completely gone so so Mm -hmm. the only thing that she had left tying her to that place was her boyfriend and his friends and she stands there and watches them burn and she wails and wails and i and i thought at first that she was wailing like like oh my god look what's happening to like does she wail does she wail at the end scene Yes, she she does yes. right before she smiles. She like she's like walking back and forth. It's a wide shot. She's off camera right, and she's like doubled over and wailing. And I I took that as she is now participating in the practice as opposed to separate from it. And then she then she experiences the catharsis finally. Yep. She sits there and she smiles and she realizes like, "Oh, this is actually the way to do it because everybody walks through this village, all the the locals at this in this state of of peace and almost zen-like comfort. Even though they know what's going to happen, they know the process of this these rituals, they still are at peace with themselves. That's something that no, none of the other characters are. And I just want to, before I stop, I just want to uh, address something that you said, Jesse, about Mark's death and how he should have gotten eaten by bugs. Well, definitely that would have been um, a connective narrative thread to like, okay, he does, he, we've established he doesn't like bugs and he's scared of bugs. He gets eaten by bugs. A plus B equals C. But what does happen to him is he gets blood eagled. They perform a blood eagle on him, and that is, so, which you don't see. Oh, that's happen. that's actually Simon. Sorry. No, that was that was Simon that gets blood eagled. Yeah, Mark. Mark. They they shed his skin. No, they yeah they they shave his skin and they Michael Myers it in the scene that's, where Josh is. Yeah, that yeah, exactly. I I saw that and I remember them saying Mark, but Simon was. African American type character, or Af- uh, you know, UK from London. From London, yeah, he me. he could have been Indian. And, uh, yeah, he was he was a darker character, so I didn't see that in the dummy. It looked like a very white skinned dummy. So I was just like, uh, it. It, it kind of confused me. It looked a lot like Mark. Uh, I do believe that that one was that is actually Simon. okay. Okay, yeah. So yeah, because see now see now I'm more along the lines with Jesse because I in my mind I thought that was Mark and I was like oh he pissed on their ancestral ancestral grave excuse me mm-hmm. and then they blood eagle him which blood eagles are a punishment that is reserved for like the highest level treachery the highest level of almost uh, betrayal of the Swedish people. You know, it was done by Vikings, by traitors. We see it in the television show Viking. That's probably where it's been made its most like mainstream appearance. 
it's a very old punishment and so that was was more along the line of what i was thinking i was like okay mark pissed on their grave they blood eagled him but now it's like i'm almost in line with jesse where like his death was very unrelated to anything they just leatherface his ass and it's like why yeah so that's what i mean about the cult construction being mediocre or extremely poor it's like one of the poorest constructs of the movie in my opinion Definitely, definitely. The, the cult doesn't have any um, logic to it. The cult is the monster, per se. If we were to call this a monster movie. The cult, we're white. The cult, Swedish. Yeah, the cult is the monster. And the monster needs to have a connective thread. It needs to have logic to it. It needs to have uh, something you can expect. Like, oh, okay, I know the monster has A, B, and C capability. These are the things I'm looking out for. But the cult doesn't follow its own rules. It doesn't narratively make sense. Like, I had a hard time, actually, with the ending where they were explaining the sacrifice of the I was going to say, it doesn't people. make sense. Yeah. And it's like, I actually had to, like, watch it twice over to understand, like, who all these characters that were being sacrificed were and, like, how, like, okay... I, I was literally counting on my fingers the characters in the movie. Like, okay, Mark and Simon and, okay, who's that? All right. You know, it was, like... It had no structure, no basis, had no pre, like preamble. It was just like, okay, now we're sacrificing them. And just to finish up, Ari Aster had this uh, quote where he says that you know what's going to happen. You know these people will be sacrificed. So he wanted to make the process of that interesting. But in doing so, I think he really fumbled the ending quite dramatically. So, you know. Yeah. Jesse, you had something? Yeah, I I didn't I wasn't paying attention to who was you know who was blood blood eagled or who was you know shoved into the garden with their legs sticking up at that point because I just I just didn't care. It's weird. It's weird. Jeff, you called this. We talked very briefly last night. You called it tension the movie, and I felt yeah. none of it. And I wish I did because. I talked about this a little bit earlier, but like if you divorce, just like like if you pull a scene out, you're like, wow, that's a really well crafted scene, a lot of the time. But um, yeah, you could have had you could have had a plot. A plot would have been nice. Besides, like let's follow this girl through wacky events to the inevitable conclusion of everyone dying but her, and like oh relationship metaphor. You know, if you had some kind of plot that had some setups and some payoffs that would have been something to hook me alternatively you could have had characters who had depth like somebody anybody for me to for me to like latch on to because without those things it's just like scenes i don't know and no matter how well shot yeah, they are that's... they're just scenes like like i described to you guys my watching experience of parasite where i was like just huddled up or or pacing around the room nervously i was just sitting back with a smirk on my face in this movie and then some naked women <laughs> were like some naked old women were, were oh, huddled God, around yes. our worst character who's penetrating this 15 year old and they're all wailing and i'm just sitting there <laughs> laughing because maybe that's a weird scene for someone else but i've seen the holy mountain on lsd you know, <laughs> I've seen like that's it, that whole thing. Like 
I saw Rob Zombie's Lords of Salem. You know, that had the naked old woman horror movie thing. <laughs> I mean, I know that I am not generally the best person to say what's like scary or or like shocking because I'm really desensitized when it comes to movies. But like something like Parasite, where you care about what's happening because there's this really kinetic, interesting plot and the characters that I wouldn't say like, but are very human. It's like all the things that worked in Parasite didn't work in this movie, except like just really good technical filmmaking, which did carry it. It carried my interest. If it didn't, if it wasn't so well shot, I would have turned it off. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's hard to say. You know, it's. I I think we're at three different like, we, I think we're at three different kind of under like, what am I trying to say? The basis of understanding of this movie. Like, I definitely see what Ari was trying to do. I applaud the cinematography. I applaud the, the relationship, uh, the realism of the relationship. But I just choose one is more what I was thinking. It's it choose one or the other. Choose the cult horror movie or choose the relationship drama. Choo- choose one and put all your energy into it. And that's why I felt like him going through a breakup was actually a detriment to this movie. Because I feel like he really had something with the cult aspect of the movie and then decided it was also going to be a relationship drama because he was going through this horror movie. It's like, dude, keep that shit that's out interesting of because from what i understand from an interview i read he was far more interested in the relationship element than the cult thing the cult thing was just kind of like tossed in there it's which like, makes like sense a backdrop it makes sense and you're like okay so but, why did you put me through this three hours then if you didn't want to make this movie kind of because it honestly would have been almost the same format or tempo as his previous film where it starts off with this like very vicious tragedy and then you watch how like that tragedy derails the storyline he wanted to do this thing where it was like he'll show you this tragedy in this film and then we see this like rising tension again you know because the tension is pretty well broken when you're waiting for the message or the result of what's going on at the beginning and then it's like oh jesus like well that that takes care of that. Like she doesn't have to worry about getting those messages anymore, you know, from her sister. But technically, like you said, that f- shot is very well shot. You know, the idea that it's slow motion when the firefighters are moving through the home and turning the vehicle off really emphasizes like the lack of urgency. You know, it's like, this is no longer an emergency. This is just, we're, we're coming upon the, the scene. of. It's death. just clean like, up at this point. Yeah. These people are death. Like, um, the thing that I will say that I think makes this movie so difficult for me to place is going back to bringing up hereditary. The characters are not like that in the film. And he wrote those characters. They're so good. Yeah. You know, Tony Collette's character is like, like Pew's character is good. Danny. Okay. is is fine. But like it, it gets in, in descending order. Danny, Pele, Josh, who's believable with his academic, you know, rapper and like he gusto. was he was the best one for me because I understood what he wanted. Exactly. 
when Mark in the one of the scenes uh, where Danny comes over and and Christian is explaining to his friends like, hey, guys, I invited her, blah, 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 blah. You know, his his caveat of, or his, his way of getting out so he can grill Christian, I think, is he's like, hey, man, can you come help me look at this paragraph? Yeah. And that line of dialogue, I was like, Ari Aster, you you just sat down and, and, and thought this is what people who are getting PhDs say. This is what they do. You know, like they talk about paragraphs and shit like that. Yeah, that was and very no like, point. Forced. Yeah, at no point did I believe any of these people were academic in any sense except oh, for yeah. Josh. Oh, yeah. You know, he's taking notes. He's asking questions. They see the Atastupa. And then Christian comes in and tells him, just want you to know, man, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, hold the fuck up. You know, like... That fight between them was very believable. Oh, God. That was very oh, believable. Yeah. Like, the how Josh pointed out, like, hey you know you're guilty because look how you're behaving. Like, you know, like, don't be an idiot. Don't sit here and pretend like you're being this, like, cool guy and this friend to me yeah. by letting me know ahead. Like, you know what you're doing is wrong and you because of your body language. And, and there's a lot of implied things like that. Like, they imply the differences between a good relationship and a bad relationship with Simon and Connie and Danny and Christian. Like, Simon mm-hmm. and Connie are always in each other's arms. They're always very... Kissy. Yeah, yeah. kissy and cl- and very close, and they're very much in love. And you can see that there's a, that kind of rubs Danny the wrong way. And she even says at the table after Simon, quote-unquote, you know, leaves, um, she says, I can I see you that. doing that. That was real. That yeah. the whole aura felt... That energy felt real. Yeah, there's just... Exactly. Exactly, Alex. There's no consistent energy in this movie. And that's truly, for me, what it's missing. I can forgive a lot. Like, I I definitely feel like I'm not as critical about character development as you are, Jesse. I, I could forgive a lot of the kind of weak characters in this, and most of them are. But what I can't forgive in a movie is a lack of continuous, believable energy. And the movie keeps, it's like Blue Ball's the movie. Like, it keeps building you up to something and then just giving you no release. And that's why I would say that Adestupa was almost like the most release you get. Because it's like, okay, I've been waiting for a kill. Here's the kill. <laughs> yeah. Here's the gore. Okay. And that's it. And then you don't you don't get it at all. And they keep doing that to you over and over again. They keep building it, building it, building it. And then nothing. And it's just like, quick fuck. Quick side question: Did the woman in that in that ceremony seem reticent at all to you guys? Like she was like apprehensive about the ceremony. Yeah, like she, like you know, Siv tries to play it off after Simon and Connie are freaking out. You know that she's like, everyone's happy to do this. Like we'll all take this very stoically and nobly. But for some reason, from the beginning of the day, the little breakfast that you have, you know, the complimentary death breakfast. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Before they carry you up the Continental. thing. I have, I have no idea, yeah, man. Exactly. I, I started to question the direction of the actors fairly early on, so I stopped like reading into nuance, I guess. Um, okay. This movie, yeah. what this movie should have been is like, just uh, either embrace being a character drama and like lean into actually having characters for the drama or just make it a nonsense carnival. Like what this movie would have been if it had this level of filmmaking 
and like just went bananas and had like like a kind of like a Bruce Campbell character who's just swept up into the nonsense, it would have been amazing. It would yeah. have been fucking incredible. <laughs> Bruce Campbell just goes through and, murdering the whole yeah, village. Yeah, Bruce Campbell in this village full uh, of nonsense events, and he has no idea what's going on, and he's high out of his mind. Sign me up for that. Pew finds some like Viking armor somewhere and unearths right. it, and just fucking goes on a rampage. Yeah, like. but that's you know I get what you're saying. I definitely do. But Ari Aster really does enjoy filmmaking this is why i'm so surprised i'm getting i have the same feeling with this movie as i did with this is us the exact same us, emotional right? feeling uh us yeah, oh, yeah. this, is us, this is, is, a, is us is a tv show oh it is excuse me yeah excuse me i'm so i got confused uh with us is us didn't it, it was like everyone really acclaimed it they were like oh it's so good it's so good and then I watched it, and I don't know if I wasn't fair to it because I was comparing it to Get Out, just like I was not comparing this movie to Hereditary, but expecting that same level. Mm. And then this movie just kind of fell flat for me, especially at the end. And I just was like, I'm so, I'm so, I'm like bummed because of that. Like, it's like, oh man, I really wanted this to be something that I add to like the category of hereditary and the Vich and stuff like that, where it's like these modern horror movies that really take me somewhere. And, and it just, it fell flat and it was just so unfortunate. And, and I think there's something to say where sophomore directors don't want to repeat what made their first movie good because they don't want to become either typecast or fall into like a, like this is his style, and I just find that to be so stupid. I don't know. I I I can't explain it in any other articulate way than that. Like, no, play to your strengths. Play to mm-hmm. what makes movies good. It's okay as a director to have a style and to use that format. That's Tarantino to a T. He has a style. He has a format, and he does it to a, to the letter each time, and it works. And it's like. You can see bits of that in this movie with Hereditary. The score, the wide shots, the the way the camera like tends to dolly around the action and really give you like a 360 degree view of what's going on. Um, it, it definitely, it's interesting, but then it just doesn't go anywhere and it becomes so frustrating. Like the mushroom scene, the first mushroom scene, why? It, it just it has no place in the movie. It makes no sense. It's just was because tripping is interesting. Now, while they did visually one of the best representations of tripping on mushrooms that I've seen, like as someone who's taken a lot of mushrooms, like the way that everything had that kind of like falling, not melting, but like water cascading down kind of look to it. They definitely did hallucinating very well. But the scene itself had no narrative purpose because then she wakes up and then she's like is it still day and and oh yeah it, it you know it was only dark for a few hours like okay like they just it was like almost like they didn't realize their own time frame and they were like okay we got to speed it up a day I, I don't know i just didn't feel like that movie that that movie that um scene had much purpose i felt that way about a lot of scenes man <laughs> see i didn't i thought that ev- after that scene Every other subsequent scene, no matter if nothing really happened in it, there was still something to enjoy. Yes. Either yeah. a visual element or, um, you know, a, a kind of interesting character. Wait, 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 wait. Where's this interesting character? 
I just think that the inter- I think really the 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 villagers, the way they all, they all give off these different tones of like, kind of scary, not scary, but just like you you know the whole time as the viewer that these aren't good people, or at least these aren't people that are here for the main character's benefit. And I had a good I had a lot of fun trying to pick that out of their their dialogue like okay what is this guy trying to say like is he is he being facetious is he being cryptic and you know and there was definitely a lot of great shots like they when they're driving into the village and the camera flips upside down and then flips back is like obviously a take on okay the world is now turning on its head like we are now entering uh kind of a macabre different reality than we were just in that before that scene was the real world and now what we've entered is something different because we have this huge like flip of the camera and it was i liked that i was i was like okay cool i get what you're what you're doing with the shot composition and then it just falls flat and keeps falling flat and it's just why yeah very kubrickian compositions yeah so there's definitely an aspect to it that's enjoyable to watch lots of great scenes the the may uh, the the may queens or the potential may queens doing the uh, mayflower dance around the maypole that was really cool and like fun to see from a top-down perspective i mean there's a lot of interesting things but i there's a little bit of ari aster i think smelling his own farts here but but for the most part i i just think he was trying to do too much in a movie that needed a lot less and like i said before when we first started you could mute this movie and i think still get all the same ideas across what do you this movie could be a silent film what's going on over there alex did we lose alex we might have lost alex i was like we haven't heard from alex in a while oh no i hope he uh well, maybe maybe he's oh, we'll just he's just so angry because he loved this movie so much. He's like these these guys talking bad about my favorite characters. Sorry, yeah. While you guys were talking, I was uh, I was thinking of things to say. Um, you know, I think that Mark, the character of Mark, is a very good litmus test for how this this movie goes off the rails in in the sense that you guys are saying. Um, you know, like. There's a point where he is believable. There's always a dickhead friend that grates on a relationship or or is a little friction on a relationship, right? And he's a caricature at the beginning. You know, he's always talking about having sex and shit like that and, like, breaking up and having the main character break up with Danny. But there's also something when they are having the mushroom trip where... He is just incessantly talking like, you know, like, oh, my God, guys, I don't feel good. There's new people lay down. Josh, will you please lay down? And it's like there's always that friend who does not seem to take something seriously or how do I say like they act in a way where nothing will like affect them. He's like, oh, we're just here in Sweden. We're just taking mushrooms like I'm freaking out because that's like what I'm supposed to do. Like I'm freaking out of because of ticks, but like his fear is never real. If he was actually afraid of any of those things, like he wouldn't be as boisterously belligerent and confident as he is. Yeah. Um, and then I think when he, you know, starts saying the little remarks or the jokes at like the dinners and the, and the things like just being outright disrespectful, you know, it's like, 
this is this is getting a little ridiculous as a character as believable right like i'm like i understand he's an american and you know there's this aspect of tourism around the world internationally but this is not real no one is saying anything to him no one's and then when he pisses on the tree the ancestral tree yeah anyone's normal reaction would be one of like prostrate like oh please forgive me like i'm very sorry and he acts like a fucking five-year-old like what what, i was just i had to pee dude like i don't i don't understand what's wrong like and i'm like how has this entire process of ritual and sanctity and you know piousness not gone through to you yet you know like why even if it was a mistake why wouldn't you get why they're upset and that's where it starts to get really just like who are these characters yeah there's no great reaction from any characters to any other characters they all kind of sit in a vacuum it seems like when he does that christian's character comes up and you would think that i mean at least in my experience with traveling if anything like that had happened my first thing would do would be apologize on behalf of my friend mm-hmm. to be like oh my god i'm so sorry he did that he didn't know let i mean let's can we just figure something out but instead christian just comes up and like starts laughing and like, like, oh, dude, I can't believe you did that. That's oh. And it's like, was that an ad lib? Was that, what is the, what is the basis for that mm-hmm. reaction? Because that doesn't seem at all believable that you would, you would think it was funny, even in like a shocked sense. Like, oh man, I'm so shocked that he's doing that, that, that made me laugh. Like, I just, it's not believable. And that's, I think a what I'm talking about with like energy and connective thread, like no character is connected. Each character is very much in a vacuum except for Christian and Josh and that very small scene together. But beyond that, it's like, it's all these characters just sitting in their own little world. And, and there's just, there's the movie lacks maturity. Yeah. And like the scene where like she, uh, they ask Christian to mate with the girl and they like bring him in this like little room with all these drawings on the walls and that scene was just so pointless like only to establish like it's okay for you to fuck this 15 year old girl that's mm-hmm. the only point of that scene to establish is like okay christian's not a pedophile so don't hate him for that and it's like uh okay like i just don't and oh we do have to take into consideration that the age of consent in europe is very different than america so it's not as strange to them of an age yeah. of an age gap, but it's still very. And it's just it, there's a lot of scenes that just have no connective tissue. It, yeah. This movie's more like a skeleton that needs like fat and meat on it, and it doesn't have any of that, and it, it it's just unfortunate. It, it's un- inauthentic too, and like it doesn't feel genuine, you know, because it's like it makes me feel like without knowing or looking into the background of it all, it makes me feel like Ari Aster has never been in college. Um, yeah. and has never like actually in any like been around any type of academic you know sense of like something like that it does though you know when I hear about this idea of the breakup and then you examine it through this idea of Danny and the relationship deteriorating I'm like okay yeah like you definitely did just go through a breakup, yeah that's where the you know? focus like, is that's where the focus of the movie is is this breakup. where it should have been yeah and, it, and you can't do that with a character like Christian or an actor like Jack Rayner, whichever one it is. I do not know. But it was 
incapable of exploring that relationship in any poignant way when you have Florence Pugh going up against something like that, right? It, it was like watching Serena Williams play up against me. I, I don't know, like a two-year-old. <laughs> yeah, 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 but yeah, like one of us, exactly. Like, yeah, it's so. I mean, I don't. I mean, I, and I don't want to. If anyone has anything else to add, I'm kind of. Uh, I've talked this movie ad nauseum, but it. You know, to wrap it up, I just. I feel like this is a movie that should have been much, much better than it was. And especially for A24 and Ari Aster, it, it lacks a lot of meat. It lacks a lot of creative direction beyond just, hey, isn't this pretty? Isn't Sweden really pretty? Aren't these characters dysfunctional? There's just nothing connecting these threads together. And that's just wholly to its detriment. And it, it's actually quite... Um, Quite, quite disheartening. That's what I'll say about Thank it. Thank God for set direction and for costumes. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm I'm glad this movie exists, even though I didn't particularly like it. And I like that it had sort of the buzz around it that it does, because there's something to be said for like a, a, a wide release horror movie that's a slow burn like this that has the technical definitely. side that it does. Um. And I think, I don't know, most people aren't going to have the reaction that I did. I think, uh, like, most people will be will be caught up in the tension in a way that I wasn't able to be. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I echo the sentiment, Jeff. It's, it's unfortunate, because I would have loved to have loved this movie. Um, but yeah, uh, bad, thin characters obvious subtext uh it was just a director masturbating for three hours and i was like can we can we do something else i want to see something else he's like no you're gonna watch me i'm like okay sir (laughs) (laughs) definitely definitely uh alex any closing thoughts um yeah i'll say that i have to disagree with you guys slightly um i do think it's better than hereditary i think that that's something that we would probably have I haven't to talk seen that about so in a different episode yeah um characters obvious absolutely not um if anything i wish just florence Pugh was now in hereditary instead of <laughs> instead of midsummer but i do think that it is actually a better movie um based on my initial reaction of hereditary which i have not seen as many times as this film why um but other why than is that, it, why, wait, I mean, Jeff's trying to wrap up, but no, this, this warrants discussion. Why is this a good movie? <laughs> sell us, Alex. Sell me on this. I think, okay, well, I mean, that my theory is really the only thing that I think really makes this movie good. This idea that you're showing this woman's, like, experience of trauma and experience of pain smooth over trauma and pain itself. It's like this idea of exposure or immersive therapy that Jeff brought up that I think was probably not intentional. So maybe my, my critical analysis or view of the film makes it better for me. Um, but hereditary again, like without going too far into hereditary, there are just some flaws in hereditary that I think are expected of a freshman filmmaker. I think that some of the, the lore, some of the like images and scenery were also weak. Um, so he does do trauma and grief very well. 
And I think that that's what makes this movie good because I keyed in a lot on Danny and her, her relationship to herself, to trauma and to her boyfriend. Um, but I mean, I didn't know if you, you guys said you didn't necessarily like it, but I didn't know if you guys were saying it was bad. No, I definitely don't good, think it's a know? bad movie. I don't, I, and I, and actually it's not that I don't like the movie. I just was disappointed at how, poorly connected all of these ideas that Aster was trying to get through were ended up being your mm-hmm. theory makes the movie better in my mind for me as well. I definitely enjoy your theory. I think it plays well into what was trying to be told, but the story that was told to me for three hours was inconsistent, uh, yeah. amateurish at times with really great shots but really, like Jesse said, just thin characters and not enough connective threads to, to tie the characters together, to tie them to this world, and to make them believable. It was just, it just lacked a lot from somebody who I have a lot of respect for. I really respect Ari Aster's filmmaking, and I do disagree with you wholly that this is better than Hereditary. I, this, is a, <laughs> this is an offline conversation in general, but it's uh, definitely something that I don't... I don't think this movie is better hereditary. Hereditary has better characters. It is scarier, has better visuals. I mean, this has prettier visuals, but Hereditary has much more horror. Hereditary is a horror movie, and this doesn't know what it is. Is it a thriller? Is it a character drama? What is it? It doesn't know. I don't see it as a, as a horror movie in the same way that I expected Hereditary. When I saw it in theaters, I was like, this is a horror movie. Right. Like I was ready for that. Um, I think Hereditary is a great movie. I also think this movie is a great movie, but I think it's see, I don't think it's a demerit on Ari Aster's maybe career. I think it's like a little segue almost of something where he's like trying to like not step out of his lane, but he's like, it goes into this masturbatory thing of like, look how great I am in my stride right now, you know? And I think that films like this are necessary to make him a better director. Um, and I think that, I think upon a rewatch or two, the film might change your guys' mind. Well, I should, I should want to watch it again. And I don't. Yes. If, and that's, it's, um, you know, <sighs> Even with all the the character problems and the disconnection problems, if you had really leaned into the weirdness and made it like even more of an experimental film, like go Jordorowski with it. Go, you know, we watched uh, The Avenging Disco Godfather the other night, Alex and I did. And the last five minutes of that movie are more petrifying and confusing and terrifying than the entire three hours of uh, <laughs> Midsummer, Like that movie, the ending of Disco Godfather, which is not a great movie, but it just gets so weird and experimental at the end. They're like, it's like, you should have gone the David Lynch route with this movie. If you weren't gonna, if you weren't gonna go, if you weren't gonna go traditional movie route, like you have to go the other way, I think, for it to work. Like just lean into the crazy. 
But Ari Aster, yeah. I don't think either has one that experience or two that intention. So it's, it's a little unfair to kind of hold him to that standard. I, I have he, he, he shot. I mean, he sh- the, I have no comment about the director's style. I haven't seen any of his other movies. I didn't even know his name until you guys say it. I'm just saying, like, what would have made the movie work? Sure. Yeah, definitely. The theatrical cut. See that one much more mature, much more clean. Um, the the director's cut really is where like it almost makes the flaws of the theatrical release a little worse right it it extends scenes and makes things that you don't really it's just not good i don't Mm. know um yep all right well i think that we have three different ideals of this movie i think we have one that's mm -hmm. You know, in in support, I'm a little bit on the fence, and I think Jesse kind of gave up a third of the way uh, through. <laughs> I enjoyed watching it uh, from a purely just visual level, but but yeah, not not a great movie. All right, well, thanks everyone for listening. I appreciate your time and tuning in to this yeah. episode. Of one more take and listening to us. Thanks everyone. Jabber on about Midsummer. Uh, the, the next episode I'm quite excited for. Don't want to spoil it, but it's one of my favorite movies. So uh, I appreciate everyone hanging around. Any Anything else, gents? Don't go to Sweden if you're in a failing relationship. Just to anyone out there. Don't travel if you're in a failing relationship. Yeah, just, just don't try it. All right. Well, thanks, everyone, and uh, have a great Later, night. taters. Have a good night, everyone. As a little postscript here. This will sadly be the last episode of the One More Take podcast. Not because we're going to stop podcasting, but it's come to our attention that there are... Somehow I missed this, you know. Somehow there are numerous um, newer film podcasts called One More Take that do essentially the same fucking thing as we're doing. Um, So we got to rebrand. We don't know what it is yet, but uh, we'll figure something out. It sucks, too, because I really like this name. It's a good name. One More Take. You guys get it. But uh, yeah, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you on the next one, which will be called something.